kids get a little bit older, it's, uh, I think it's just as enjoyable watching them uh, as their siblings open up the present that they got their sibling. It's just a joy to watch that. And so hopefully you guys have had some similar experiences of watching loved ones open up gifts and watching them as you open up the gift that, that they got you. And, uh, but every once in a while, I hope you guys didn't get any of these, every once in a while you get a gift that somebody got one. Isn't so joyous to open up. And so, you know, uh, oftentimes, you know, we think, hey, what's the greatest Christmas gift that anybody ever received? And so, uh, just with my weird mind, I wanted to see the worst Christmas gifts ever given. And so I've condensed them to just seven. Hopefully you didn't receive any of these. Uh, One person actually received one slipper. A lot of good that's going to do you, but that would be better than the next one. Has anybody ever received a toilet seat for Christmas? Probably not a good Christmas gift, uh, but one person actually got a a very nice sweater that somebody else had worn and then stained and re-gifted to them. Probably not a great gift, but it probably will be better than the next one that somebody actually gave a bar of soap. So imagine if somebody gave you a bar of soap, what they might be telling you that you need to do. But can you imagine getting this next one, a subscription to the Nutrisystem weight loss program? (laughs) Probably not a good idea, um, or uh, hopefully none of you men have gotten this from your mother-in-law, but a, a book of etiquette from your mother-in-law. <laughs> but I think this one takes the cake for, for gifts, Christmas gifts given at the office, a, uh, a little pill vial that's designed as a, a little white elephant that had your co-worker's children's teeth inside. Probably not a good gift to give at Christmas time, and hopefully you didn't experience any of those, but today... So you're still grossed out by that one? Yeah, I, can you imagine getting that? I don't know if I want to work next to that person anymore. Um, but today I do want to talk to you about the greatest gift that has ever been given. And we had a wonderful Christmas Eve service where we, we read from Scripture the, the Christmas story. We got to sing a lot of our favorite Christmas carols. Um, and hopefully you've had some time to think about the greatest gift ever given. You know, over the last month, We've been talking about the gospel and what does the gospel really mean. And I want us to look at it from the perspective of Christmas. You know, the gospel is the greatest gift ever given, that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, but not just to dwell among us, but for a purpose, to prove that he was God, to eventually die a sacrificial death to pay the sin debt that you and I really owe, you know, and so that we can have this relationship with him. But the the greatest gift ever given, it reveals the glory of God. And as we look all throughout Scripture, and I hope that you guys see this, uh, that all throughout Scripture, from the beginning to the end, you can see God glorifying himself. You can see the gospel story from beginning to end. We're very familiar with uh, verses like John 1, 14, that says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, you know, and we have seen his glory, the glory as, on, as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We, we're familiar with that. But, you know, oftentimes we don't link it back to the beginning. What's Genesis 1, 1 say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as we read our translations, we just see the word God, and we don't understand the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word there is Elohim, which means plural. It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so when we link that back to John, and we realize that, you know, even in John 1, that says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We link that back to Genesis 1, and we see this 
gospel thread intertwined all throughout God's word. It's absolutely amazing to me when we look at these things. And we read the rest of in John, John chapter 1, and turn there with me if you will, as you read that we often read this in the beginning of the gospel story. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word meaning Jesus Christ. I actually had somebody call me or, or texted me yesterday, and uh, she was asking me to tell her some of the verses that I'd share with her that Jesus actually claimed to be God. And so I gave her a variety of verses, but here's one of them that says Jesus was God. That you link it back to Genesis 1-1, in the beginning was God. God plural, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Verse 2 in John 1 says, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right here is the gospel in these first five verses in the book of John. In the beginning was Jesus Christ. He was God. And then he became flesh and dwelt among us. So that, here's the redemptive story. So that the light of the world, Jesus Christ, could overcome darkness. And so we see that here's the gift of salvation you know, in Jesus Christ. That the, the redemptive story, the redemptive plan, as we've seen in, in weeks past, that the wages of our sin is death. The wages of sin separate us from God for all eternity. But God had a plan. He had this redemptive plan from the beginning of time that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to be the greatest gift that was ever, ever given so that we could have a relationship with him. But the greatest gift that ever has been given is in stark contrast to the gifts of the world. And you think about the gifts of the world, the gifts of the flesh, the gifts of the devil. They, are, they aren't full of joy, love, peace, patience, kindness. They're full of envy, strife, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. You know, the gifts that the world has to us, it, it causes separation from God. If you'll turn back to the book of Isaiah in chapter 59. Uh, it, it indicates this with us, you know, in verses 1 and 2 and 59, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened in that it cannot save. His ear is not dull in that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made separation between you and God. Once again, we see the plan from the Old Testament to the New Testament that sin separates us. There's many people today that they would even say that God cannot exist because he's so far from me. Well, here's what the Word of God says, that it is sin that separates us from God. It's not that God's hand is too short that he can't reach down to us or that his ear doesn't hear us speaking. It's that sin has separated us from God. We've seen this in weeks past, but that is the reason for the greatest gift that was ever given. If you turn over to 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1 and verse 9, we see the byproducts of this. In verse 9 it says, you know, in regards to this separation, it says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Sin separates us from, from God. It separates us from the love of God. And the, the, the gifts that the world has are temporal. The gifts that the world have will leave us empty. There's a lady by the name of Diane Matthews who, who wrote a story in Christianity Today. And she said that, you know, when she was in first grade, she was loving it. She was having the time of her life, that is, until December. You know, December, the beginning of December, the girl that sat behind her in a desk 
brought in this little tiny box that had this incredible gift wrapping on it. It had shiny white paper and, and, and red sylvane bow that was all tied on. It was about an inch by inch by inch cube, and she put it on her desk. And Diane, every morning, she would come in there and she would see it. Uh, and you know, she would sit there and look at it, and she, her mind just started going crazy because of how neatly it was, it was wrapped. She said, there's got to be something special inside of there. So day after day after day, she began to think about it. And then she decided that she deserved it. Because she wanted it and desired it, she deserved it. And so she devised this plan of how she was going to get that gift. She actually happened to ride the early bus, and so she got to school early, and that particular classroom was empty as she came in. So she snuck in there, she went to the desk, she got that thing, and she tore it open. She's throwing paper everywhere. And as she opens it up, there's nothing inside. And immediately as she sat down in that desk, shame and guilt and fear of being caught began to overwhelm her because she realized that it was just an empty box. You see, this is what the gifts of the world, the gifts of the flesh, and the gift of the devil have for us is nothing but emptiness. And as we pursue them and as we unwrap them, they leave us the same time and time and time again. And yet we keep going to them. I think part of the reason we keep going to them is because we don't really understand the greatest gift that has ever been given to us. We don't understand what Jesus has already done for us. You know, and, you know, even though some of those gifts look incredible, the greatest gift that has ever been given, it continually reveals the glory of God. Over and over and over, God continues to glorify himself because of what Jesus did in taking on human flesh, because of what Jesus did in coming back from the dead, because of what Jesus did so that that gap of separation because of our sin could be brought together. But I know there's a lot of people that are like me that are very skeptical people. I don't believe things just because I read them. I don't believe things just because somebody says them. And so here's the amazing thing about God is this greatest gift that ever has been given was wrapped in prophecy. For though, If you're like me where you have a hard time believing this stuff, God becoming flesh and living amongst us, that just doesn't seem to make sense. A virgin giving birth, I'm having a hard time with that. But let me tell you, God continues to give himself glory in that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years prior to the birth of Jesus Christ, it was foretold of how it would happen. It was foretold of where it would happen. In fact, if you just consider the uniqueness of the greatest gift that's ever been given and you compare it to other religious leaders who entire religions have been founded after, you don't see any prophecies prophesying their birth, the time of their birth, the location of their birth, the method of their birth. You don't see any of that. And so why do people get so mad at the name of Jesus? You see, God has wrapped it in prophecy so that we can know with 100% certainty that what is contained within the pages of what we call the Bible is absolute truth, that we can look at this story that we celebrate here on Christmas and understand there is no question about its truth. It is unique. There is no other person in the world, no other religious leader that has had prophecies about their birth, that has had prophecies fulfilled. There are over 350-some prophecies about Jesus, many of whom he's already fulfilled, and some that he would fulfill in the future. It is absolutely amazing when we look at it. I love Matthew, and in just the first two chapters of Matthew, if you look at it, 
There are all sorts of prophecies that Matthew reveals in the first two chapters. I'm just going to fly through some of them for you. You can go back and read through this. But in Matthew chapter 1, he talks about the virgin birth. Well, guess where that was prophesied? It was prophesied back in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You know, but then he was born in Bethlehem in, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. You know, that was prophesied in Micah 5, uh, verse 2. Uh, it was prophesied that the women would be weeping over the loss of their children. And Matthew, uh, it, Matthew 2, verse 18 tells us that. Remember, Herod sent after the wise men didn't come back. He sent and killed all the babies in that area that were up to a certain age. Guess where that was prophesied? In Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 15. Matthew also tells us that after Herod uh, you know, came, that Mary and Joseph had to flee with Jesus to, to Egypt. It was prophesied that Jesus would come up out of Egypt in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. And so there's all sorts of these prophecies about the birth and the context of the birth of Jesus that were prophesied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years prior to. The book of Isaiah was written 700 years prior to the birth of Christ. Let that sink in for a moment. That these predictions, in fact, some people that see that they were written in Isaiah go, well, somebody had to write that after the fact. And so, you know, you go, well, maybe that's true. And if we don't study that some more that we go, well, that, that seems pretty logical. So how do we refute that? Well, we refute that a variety of different ways from archaeological evidence and other writings that were found, but the easiest way is the Septuagint. The Septuagint was written over a variety of centuries, you know, but it was completed at, at least 150, 153 years prior to the birth of Jesus Christ. The Septuagint, if you're not familiar with that, is the translation of the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, into Greek, the, the language of the day. And so at a minimum of 150-some years before the birth of Jesus, we have the translation of all these books before. So even though people might want to say it was written after the fact, well, you still have it 150-some years prior to. There's no way it was written after the birth of Jesus. And so you have all these prophecies, and there's many more. Uh, that as you look through the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, he was going to come into Jerusalem riding a young donkey. He was going to be betrayed by a friend. He was going to be uh, for 30 pieces of silver, that those 30 pieces of silver were going Going to be purchased a Potiphar's field. And these are all throughout the Old Testament that we see these things. He was going to die a sacrificial death. Matter of fact, Psalm 22 says he's going to, he was going to be crucified. Well, guess what? When Psalm 22 was written, crucifixion hadn't even been invented yet as a means of execution. He was going to be buried among the wealthy, which is crazy because he was homeless. He was going to be mocked. His clothes were going to be gambled for. Uh, and it was, he was also prophesied that he was going to rise from the dead. Not on about you. I'm not sure how many people are more skeptical than I am. But when you look at the evidence and you allow the evidence to speak for itself, all it does is reveal the glory of God. The God in his majesty has made this story and the evidence for this story so that we can know with certainty that it's the greatest gift ever given, so overwhelming that in order to deny it, puts you on dangerous ground. God had a plan from beginning in Genesis all the way to Revelation for his redemptive plan to bridge a way for us to, to eliminate the separation that sin has caused. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus said this. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Jesus came because he was the light of the world. He came because sin entered the world and therefore there was darkness. You know, and so those of us that have unwrapped this gift, the greatest gift that has ever been, been given is that we now have access to the light of the world. James Dobson tells the story of an elderly woman. Uh, her name was Stella Thornhope, and her husband had died three months earlier than Christmas. And so you can imagine it was a very difficult Christmas for her as it is for some of the people even in our church. You know, and she was so discouraged that she didn't even want to celebrate. So she left all the Christmas ornaments and everything down in the basement, never even unpacked them, and she was spending Christmas alone. On Christmas Day, a knock came on the door, and she went there, and there's a young man out there, and he's got this box. And he said, are you Miss Thornhope? And she said, yes, I am. And she said, well, he said, can you please sign here? And so uh, he puts the box down. She signs for it. She said, well, who's it from? And, and he's just, all he's concerned about is getting the signature. He said, well, th this, this gift was purchased for you way back in, in August for a Christmas gift for you. Uh, and, and he opens up the box, and he pulls out this six-week-old Labrador Retriever. Her husband, before he died of cancer, had bought that dog for her, knowing of what was going to happen. And the th three weeks before he died, he went there and he wrote this card, and he gave it to the owners of this lab. This young man gave her a book that's how to raise a Labrador Retriever and this card. And in the card, the husband had written down all these words and admonishing her to be strong and, and to, to stand firm and stand firm on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and said, I'll be waiting for you on this side when it's your time. So she picks up this. little furball, wagging his tail, and she realizes that even in his death, her husband was thinking of her and caring for her. And it's instantaneously transformed her to where she had this peace that she hadn't had before. She had a joy that began to overcome her, so much so that it transformed her life. And she went down in the basement and she got out all these Christmas decorations and put them up, all because of a gift a very thoughtful gift that was planned well in advance for her. Well, if that gift meant so much to, to her, how much more is the gift that was already packaged for you and for me well before we were even born? The greatest gift that was ever given was wrapped in such a way that it was full of prophecy to prove that it was true. It was wrapped in such a way that God could not demonstrate his love to us in any greater way than sending God himself, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh to take on the form of a baby and then to be murdered for proclaiming to be God. But the same thing that those prophecies foretold his birth, those prophecies foretold his resurrection and give us proof that he was and is the greatest gift that has ever been given. We have spent months looking at this gift. We've, been, we've spent months looking at the gospel and the cost of the gospel, the value of the gospel, and the, the demand of a life that the gospel makes upon us. Jesus said that he is the light of the world. I wanted to remind you that he, later in Matthew 4, verses 14 through 16, because 
we who have opened up that gift now have this relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus said. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You know, don't take that light and hide it under a bushel. Let it be seen in such a way that people, when they see the transformation in your life, when they see your good works, will know that there is a God in heaven. It's not just a gift that we get to unwrap that changes us temporally. It is a gift that we get unwrapped that changes us eternally. It changes us now. It transforms our life now so that we can be the light of the world to help other people discover the gift that has already been wrapped on their behalf. Christmas has come and it is gone. Some people have already taken down their Christmas lights. Some gifts that have been given have already been forgotten. Let's make sure we don't forget the greatest gift that has ever been given. Let's make sure that our lives reflect God's glory in various ways so that others are drawn to us and they want to know why there is a change and a transformation in our lives so that we can share the good news of Jesus Christ with them so that they can open up the greatest gift ever given. As we come to our song of invitation, if you've already received that gift, I want you just to praise God for what he's done in your life. Praise God for the transformation. Make a recommitment to him that you are going to live in such a way so that people can see that you are the light of the world because Jesus lives in you and through you. If you haven't yet opened up that gift, you're a little bit unsure Allow us to help walk you through the process of discovering that the prophecies are true, helping you to unwrap that gift so that you can see for yourself that it is indeed the greatest gift ever given, that you can see that Jesus is God who took on flesh and dwelt among us to pay the ultimate price so that we can spend eternity with him. Will you pray? Father, we are grateful for this gift. We are so grateful for what you've done in our lives. Lord, we thank you that the greatest gift that has ever been given is one that has been wrapped in prophecy, is one that makes it so clear on what we are to do. It makes it so clear that this is truth. God, I pray that we would respond accordingly. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that is unsure, God, that they would give us the opportunity of helping them learn and discover for themselves that Jesus is the greatest gift ever given. God, allow us to live in such a way to honor and glorify your name in Jesus' name.